0: News. 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 news news, New York City the FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute FAQ, F-A-Q. <laughs> It's FAQ NYC I'm Harry Siegel Here with Professor Christina Greer Hello Hello there Alex Brooklyn Hey Hey And rejoining us from Albany Josefa Velasquez uh, Josefa, hey Thanks for coming back on and taking a bit of time on on what I'm sure is a turbulent day up there. You'll hear that it's a noisy behind Osefa who is in the press room at Albany. And, you know, those folks just can't keep quiet. So if uh, there's some chatter in the background, uh, that's what's up as everyone there is waiting on a deal and trying to report what they can in the meantime. For listeners who, for whatever weird reasons, haven't been following every twist and turn, this year's budget negotiation i'm hoping you can lay out what's at stake here in terms of spending and new laws different laws new casinos and stadiums and whatnot and the state of play as negotiations continue between the governor and lawmakers most all of them running for re-election this year and keep seeming to at least from press reports nearly come together and then fall back apart about a week after the budget was due oh and Last one, how former Governor Andrew Cuomo fits into or plays into all this as he keeps reappearing and uh, suggesting there's more to go.
1: Oof. So for the listeners who aren't aware, the state budget needs to be put in place by April 1. We're recording this on April 6th, and we still don't have anything, which does not bode well for Governor Kathy Hogel's first budget. Um, and, you know, it's not a budget the way you would normally think of it. where It's like, here's your spending plan. Here's how we keep the lights on the state budget ends up being this like Frankenstein sort of proposal that has everything included in it because no one wants to take the difficult vote. So right now, you know, it's a $216 billion spending plan that has things all from, you know, licensing casinos in New York city to, uh, rollbacks in new york's bail reform to speedy discovery laws uh alcohol to go um ch- you know increased childcare uh funding it's basically everything under the sun because lawmakers don't want to take hard positions on these bills so if you just tuck it into this giant spending plan it's a lot easier to navigate and to swallow that pill um this is, as I said, Kathy Hochul's first budget, and it doesn't really bode well for her that you know we're sitting here on April 6 at 2 p.m. and we don't have anything. You know, there's the way that the budget works a lot of like hurry up and wait. Things come together and fall apart really quickly. So this morning I had heard, all right, we're having an agreement. We're going to do a, you know a big kumbaya press conference, and 45 minutes later is all hells broken loose everything's falling apart, you know, by the time this goes live, I'm sure that there'll be 400 different iterations of that. And maybe we'll have a budget.
2: So Josefa, thanks again for being a constant guest on FAQ. Really appreciate it. Um, I have two questions for you. The first is, why are we talking about casinos? I just feel like the data and the literature time and time again, tell us that casinos are not good for the communities around them they're not good for the people in the state they make casino owners a lot of money but we know that people have gambling addiction and it comes along with alcoholism and obviously in the face of you know a global pandemic and depression why are we talking about bringing in something that has been seen as like a cancer to communities
1: (laughs) your guess is as good as mine my Short answer to that is there's probably a lot of money and lobbying behind it, and that's why we're talking about it. It's even weirder that we're talking about it in the context of a state budget, but at the same time, you know, you have really high unemployment rates in the city, so it's being billed as you know, we can get jobs out of this, we can lure back tourists into this area. Um, you know, what else could we possibly do? Uh, so I think it's once again this idea that like the business and economy supersedes everything else, supersedes healthcare, you know, mental health struggles, housing, homelessness, whatever. We just want to make money. Right. And it
2: seems as though uh, you and your colleagues are diligently working in Albany to try and get to the bottom of all this. What's that background noise we hear? Um, can you tell us what's going on where you are?
1: Yeah. So I'm in this big cavernous room that's tucked away at the state Capitol between the Senate and the assembly. It's three floors and the walls are uh, this cement with like a yellow patina of nicotine basically. <laughs> and, you know, we have a lot of different reporters for a million different news outlets in here. So what you're hearing in the background is just like banter between reporters because we're all just at this point, waiting for something, waiting for news. Um, While we're sitting here trying to come up with the B-roll for our stories, it's a lot of like trying to figure out what's happening within the legislature right now, like where are discussions going? Uh, And, you know, what you're hearing sort of in the background right now, you're also hearing somewhere like in the assembly and the Senate, they're having the same discussions. So Uh everyone's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Right. And as you
2: said, I love that phrase, hurry up and wait. Do you think that there can be some political fallout for Kathy Hochul? You know, will Tom Swasey or Jamani Williams jump on the fact that, you know, the this, as Harry said, this is the governor's first real budget and we're sitting around twiddling our thumbs. Do you think they'll come out and essentially try and paint this as um, an ineffectual leader uh, that needs to be called out?
1: Totally. I mean, it seems that there's sort of she's handing them fodder on a silver platter and in large part because she refused to and her team refused to negotiate the rest of the budget until the criminal justice components which are the most contentious were dealt with and sorted so instead of like you know in previous years where different teams would negotiate different parts of things this was a we're gonna keep on this one subject which is bail reform and when that is done, we will move on to other things. So it delayed you know, negotiations by quite a bit. Right now, you know, the general public or state workers and have um, state paychecks aren't necessarily feeling it because we've passed so-called extenders that make sure that people get paid on time, but that extender runs out tomorrow and we still mm-hmm. don't know what's gonna happen. So, you know, I think right now maybe the general public doesn't really care all that much, but the second that paychecks start coming out late, people are gonna start to notice. And, you know, normal people can't name their local lawmaker or their local legislator. So when you start seeing news coverage of, you know, Albany's dysfunction, they're going to associate it with the executive. So it doesn't look good for her that this is her first budget and it's so late and that Democrats are basically cannibalizing each other over this.
0: Cuomo, of course, took a lot of pride in having these on time budgets. I'm so old. I remember uh state senator Eric Adams uh getting up to his ears uh in uh, in the uh the push to land the uh race, you know, contract uh at Aqueduct and showing exceedingly poor judgment I think is how a, a state inspector general uh report put it and now there's whispers we're talking about maybe three new casinos you know including in Manhattan um well, Steph, what I'm really trying to wrap my head around, right? We got all this COVID aid and largely because the tech companies made almost unfathomable profits during the pandemic, tax revenue has been higher than expected. Everyone's running for office. So that, that's some of the backdrop. We had like a $212 million budget last year. Um, unemployment in New York is like twice the national average. The trains are half as busy as they were. Uh, the COVID aid we got from the Feds, like, definitely isn't coming back. Like, there seemed to me, at least, to be some like really ominous clouds on the horizon. But as best I can tell, and this is all happening right now behind closed doors and getting whispered, and then one mega deal comes out, right? Which is why people like to hide policy votes within this. But like, is is there any concern about the the level of spending? As best I understand it, it's it's Hochul's proposing two hundred sixteen billion up from two twelve. The legislature wants at least $220 billion. Uh Hochul found, like, right before the budget was due, you know, more than half a billion dollars for a new stadium for the bills. Is this just more or less like a, a bidding war at this point? And, and are there any forces within the Democratic Party or outside it that are significant in the state that are pressing back against any of this?
1: I mean, wouldn't you like to have half a billion dollars under your couch cushion? Because I would love that. I think right now we're at this point where the only people that are really complaining about this are probably Republicans and people who are more fiscally conservative, but all the Democrats and the governor included are painting this really rosy picture of like, wow, look at us. We're flush with cash. Isn't this amazing? We could do everything. And Kathy to, you know, her credit is trying to put some of it into like the reserves for you know, just in case another pandemic hits or something catastrophic happens, um, which is something that, you know, should be looked at more intensely, making sure that we have reserves on hand for another, you know, 100-year type thing. Um, But right now, it's just such a big number that it almost feels like a nebulous thing. What difference does it make that it's 212 or 216 or 220? It's a lot of money. It's more money than like some country's GDP. Um, And, you know, it's a matter of like how that money is being used. So Kathy Hochul is getting a lot of flack because she announced that Bill's uh, stadium before even telling lawmakers about it or like the legislative leaders who were in the meeting with her right before the announcement came out. And, you know, the, te- the family that owns the Bills, they're billionaires. And we're talking about, you know, now people are saying that this is like a billion dollar corporate bailout sort of welfare system for a team and a family that doesn't need it. Um, but again, she is from Buffalo. This is her home team. And, you know, Buffalo is not New York City. It needs, you know, attraction. And the Bills is, you know, New York's only team. Josefa, before we transition to bail reform, I just had one quick
2: question about the Bills and the Bills Stadium uh, and, and Hochul making that happen. Because can you just walk us through briefly uh, where Hochul's husband fits into uh, this conversation? There's been some, some ink spilled about how he stands to benefit from this new uh, arrangement for the New York State football team.
1: Right. And, you know, we should add that. The governor's husband had also been, you know, top prosecutor in upstate. So you know, this is a family that's well known. And the company that um, secured the deal, I believe, and someone should correct me if I'm wrong, employs Hochul's husband. Um, and you know, of course, it brings up the question of like the separation between church and state and what happens there. Um, and it raises, you know, questions about the ethics of this deal and um, who got what and what strings were pulled. It just, to me, the thing that really took me aback is that in normal conversations, you don't under like you don't announce a deal until there's pen to paper and there's something printed because everything is subject to change. So the fact that this was announced before anything else really took a lot of people by surprise. Including the Assembly Speaker and the Senate Majority Leader, who were literally in the room moments before with her, and not a thing was mentioned. So it begs the question of, like, well, why was this announcement made so hastily? Why was no one alerted about it? Like, did her husband pull any strings? Or, you know, why was there such a need for this at this moment when there's a lot more pressing issues at hand than the Bills Stadium? And I say this as someone who does not know a single thing about football. So I'm sure that someone's probably screaming, like, the Bills need a new stadium. Well, we'll edit that out so Bob Hart doesn't come after you. <laughs> I know
2: he's a big Bills fan. And, and this just sort of feels a little bit of like Sean Donovan and his daddy with the $4 million. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, oh, I didn't know that was happening. And we, we won't talk about politics, even though we're family. Um, Alex, I'm just going to pass the mic to you.
3: Well, I mean, as as Harry just uh, brought up in our group chat, um, you know, legislators also weren't super aware of her 10 point plan to roll back bail bail reform until it got leaked to The New York Post. So this also it's very interesting. Well, I'm going to just bring it back to your uh, talking about her format change like sticking on one issue which was bail reform until that gets solved none of the other budget gets solved rather have having you know disparate teams work on each issue um hopefully this is not the gaffe that lets cuomo back into office but who knows maybe um uh so with bail reform you know we were talking to jeff mays last week about how Hochul got a lot of flack from you know black leaders in the city for immediately, you know, attacking Alvin Bragg um, and sort of pointing, you know, focusing in on that. So what is what is her what's the sticking point with bail reform? Like, what do you see happening? What almost happened and fell apart from right now where we don't really have a deal because of this?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest sticking point is that this is going to be the biggest, if not the, yeah. campaign issue that everyone runs and challenges people on on both sides of the aisle, both you know progressives and Republicans, mm-hmm. right now, and I say this at two p.m. on Wednesday, there seems to be an agreement on bail reform, which includes you know adding certain gun crimes to you know things that a judge can issue bail on, um, you know, including lowering what could be considered gun trafficking, um, adding certain hate crimes to uh, to the law and I believe it's having certain crimes that were desk appearance tickets now being you know an arrestable offense if it's someone who's arrested more than once before this is like a chronic issue um and those you know aren't the biggest changes in the world but the devil's in the details and how people will navigate them how judges are going to Translate that into practice remains to be seen. Um, but really it's been all along like this perception issue and like a PR campaign, because right when these laws were first enacted in January 2020, there was a you know a whole slew of you know anti-Semitic crimes against people. Then the pandemic hit. So we don't actually have good data on whether like the rising crimes attributable to bail reform, but like crimes going up everywhere else in the country and they didn't perform bail laws.
0: And the law was, the reform law was already rolled back once, Mm -hmm. right? So this passes in 2019. It takes effect in 2020 through these uh, anti-Semitic hate crimes. And they do a first rollback of the law. Uh, Now it's 2022. The pandemic has been here pretty much the entire time the law's been in effect. So Seth has been saying crime, violent crime has been going up nationally, not just in places that did bail reform or anything like that. And uh, the polling here shows that, 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 that an overwhelming majority of the public nonetheless thinks bail reform, which has become a shorthand for, for that, and mm. uh, discovery and raise the age and all these other reforms, is driving the rise in crime. And if it gets rolled back a second time now, that, that is pretty remarkable. It was a big lift to get this passed in the first place. And then this, this is uh, you don't generally pass laws and then, and then take them back, or take them back in little part. Mm-hmm. you know, multiple times while also insisting the law is basically good and useful and and, and righteous and, and ending in inequity. It's, it's, it's been very interesting to see this in effect, like, like did Democrats get out too far in 2019 or is this just bad luck with the pandemic or, or what, why, why do they seem so politically stranded? Not Democrats, democratic lawmakers who mm-hmm. seem very distinct from democratic voters on this issue.
1: I think it was just like a successful PR campaign coupled with a pandemic where no one was out and about. So there were less crimes to report. So if you're comparing 2021 numbers to 2020 numbers, of course, crime is going to be up. We were in lockdown for half of 2020. So it makes sense. You're also talking about people who are experiencing unemployment, homelessness, you know, all of these drivers that, you know, would indicate, you know, maybe people are out on their luck and, you know, they have to get by and so i think it became shorthand for you know what's wrong with society right now let's just find the one thing we can blame you know we always blame immigrants we always blame people of color this now we're just we're going to blame bail reform because why not
3: i have a i mean obviously it's it's blame bail reform um and has been, but this isn't necessarily a right versus left issue. This isn't like Republicans versus Democrats. I mean, mm-hmm. this is an issue that's been splitting the democratic party. Do you have any idea like how some progressive lawmakers are participating and like what, what the, what the mood is, um, on the left side of the left?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're angry that they're making concessions to these, bills and these reforms that were a super heavy lift I mean when those reforms were passed it was I think the first term that Democrats had a majority in the state Senate which they stealed the majority in 2018 so it was during that two year period you know so this has been years in the making and now some people who've been around for quite some long quite a long time and even more progressive lawmakers who were elected since then are angry that other Democrats are willing to make concessions because, you know, the legislature doesn't just represent New York city. It has members upstate and long Island. The reason that there are is a supermajority in both houses, because there are Democrats from long Island. There are Democrats from Buffalo and Syracuse and Westchester. And when you have this perception on long Island or Westchester that, you know, New York city, New York city is prime riddled and God forbid you get on a subway. Um, you're going to lose those seats unless you do something. And I really do think that like what happens in the primary or even in the general is going to be won and lost in the suburbs. That's going to be the thing that's, that I'm looking at because, you know, I grew up on Long Island and it's getting like purple. And, you know, I would even say red in certain portions where before there was, you know, more moderate Democrats. Now it's just, no, New York City is a hellhole, Sodom and Gomorrah. God knows what's going to happen right. the second you step on a subway platform. We got to fix it.
3: And then preaching that this is um, a direct result of the last two years, and not like twenty, the past twenty years of voting in bad policy, is kind of what falling on deaf ears in the wake of Democrats needing to, you know, win some of those elections.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, once you had all these Democrats in office, you, they started cannibalizing each other and trying to create distinctions among themselves and like, who is, what is the Democratic Party? And what is the Democratic Party in New York? Are we the party of AOC? Or are we the party of Joe Biden? Because the two are not the same. And when there's that many Democrats, at some point, you have to ask yourself, why do we have a two party system when there's like a lot of nuance and a full spectrum of
3: people, um, or even so, a party of AOC and a party of Jessica Ramos, so there's right there's also at this point, yeah,
1: it's super nuanced.
0: So, speaking of Long Island, a couple things why, given those concerns, has uh Tom Swazi, who's absolutely yeah. been beating the democratic law and order drum, failed to get traction, and what's happening with uh state party boss, uh, Jay Jacobs. Uh apparently talking to Democrats in, in in swing districts about setting up a another party in the event they're 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 challenged by WFP members or whatever.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, can the conspiracy theorist in me is just like, well, Jay Jacobs is Andrew Cuomo's guy. So this could be a way for Andrew Cuomo to get in. Mm-hmm.
0: Um and Kathy Oakel said she didn't know about that from the state democratic chair. Of the governor, the state democratic governor said this was news to her. So Oh my. Right. Which
1: is surprising because the state Democratic Party is effectively run by the governor and mm. usually the governor appoints their person. And Kathy didn't get rid of Jay when she had the chance. I mean, of course, she still could. But usually the person that's there is loyal to the governor. Um, the fact that Jay's going around doing this is not the first time that he's sort of made news on this front. He has still somewhat remained loyal to Andrew Cuomo um, and again, it just shows that like Kathy is not in control of the situation. She's not in control of the budget. She's not in control of what the state Democratic chairman is doing. Meanwhile, you have Tom Swazi who's like running ads already about, you know, why he is the better candidate, really running, you know, to the right of Kathy Hochul, which is, you know, pretty to the middle of the political spectrum. And right now, like, this is Kathy Hochul's race to lose. And if you can get out voters on Long Island in a primary where most, a lot of people don't go out to vote, you know, you could be talking about a couple hundred or thousand people that make the difference.
0: Is there anything that could happen in this budget deal that would seal it for her or, or could cause her to lose the race? And maybe that's a good point to, uh, uh to also bring in the uh, specter of Andrew Cuomo floating over stuff right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what, maybe it's just continuously late. I mean, a lot of people who've covered the state Capitol for a very long time have always pointed out that, you know, the Pataki years, the budget would run through the summer and there's nothing more miserable than being stuck in a hundreds year old building that has crappy air quality to begin with and doing a budget in the summer. Um, so, I mean, I think the thing that could lose the race for her would be Albany dysfunction and that entire narrative. Um, which is, you know, unfortunate that it has to be under a woman that this is happening, the first female governor in New York. Um, but at the same time, like you could she could strike a chord and change this all around and you know, retake the narrative. But right now, she's talked to the press once in the last 10 days. She hasn't been out there as a leader. Um, on some of these issues. So I don't really know how this is going to play out for her, but it seems like a lot of fodder for, bor- for both the left, those running to the right of her, and for Republicans to really sow the seeds of discontent among their ranks. Josefa, so I just have one quickie before we let you out of
2: here. Um, where's Eric Adams in all of this? Is there a shadow of Eric Adams in Albany?
1: That in this is a conversation? great question.
3: Why, thank where you. is Eric Adams?
1: <laughs> because from what I hear, no one knows. And it's really kind of spectacular. You know, a couple of years ago, Bill de Blasio almost lost mayoral control because he didn't come up to Albany and ask lawmakers and, you know, kiss the ring and make them feel important. Mm-hmm. Eric Adams has sort of, is doing something similar where, you know, just last week, his team had sent up, language for bail reform. That should have been done months ago, from my understanding. The people Mm -hmm. that are doing the sort of legislative liaisons, no one knows them or they don't have a good relationship. I mean, Eric Adams hasn't been a state senator in 10 years. There's been an incredible Mm -hmm. amount of turnover. And even some of the senators that are here from his time don't like him. So it's <laughs> making things increasingly difficult. And it's not like a secret that they don't like him either. Right. Um, and so he's already had two major losses. He's not going to get mural control in the budget, which means he has to come up and ask for it when it's, you know, in June. And he's not getting the extension of 421A, which is, you know, that lucrative tax abatement for developers. That's two big things that he's suddenly, you know, losing. Mm -hmm. or at least not losing, but will have to be negotiated later on this year where things are much more politically fickle and people are much more careful about the votes that they take. But, you know, as someone had mentioned it to me, like he's more often in D.C., in Miami, in Chicago Mm -hmm. than he is Mm -hmm. at the state capitol, just three hours north, which for people listening, like as much autonomy as New York City has, if they want to jump, they need to ask Albany, can we do this? How high? Mm -hmm. Uh, so the dynamic between Albany has always been fraught between city hall. And now I think it's becoming more fraught with lawmakers, Uh, but he seems to have a good relationship with the governor. Um, they're sort of on the same page on a lot of things, but with that being said, people are wondering like, why isn't Eric Adams here? What does he want? Why is he acting so late?
2: Right. So instead of New Hampshire and and Iowa, we've got Florida and Chicago.
1: I mean, Albany's great this time of year. <laughs> Tulips. <laughs> Go to the Tulip Fest. Shout out to the Tulip Festival. I mean, it's, you know, Albany's an interesting place and we're stuck in this building and it's very humid and everyone is just sitting around angry because no one's eaten a single vegetable. Or anything that isn't beige. In about two weeks, everyone is ready to kill each other. Best way to end a budget season.
0: So, Hmm. closing question here, and hopefully, y'all will escape soon. We shall see when when they get to uh, when they get to this deal, this big ugly, and everything gets announced at once. Like, what what are the handful of things New Yorkers should be looking at to say, you know, this 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 is good for us, New York Cityers. Or bad? And uh, what are the handful of things that are going to show who the political winners and losers from this process are? Like like if people are trying to keep a scorecard at home, uh, you know, as a uh, as a uh, professional observer, what should they be checking for?
1: I mean, I say this half jokingly, but the thing that a lot of New Yorkers are interested in is alcohol to go. And I mean, I've never seen people coalesce behind an issue or a policy as much as they're like, yeah, I want to get alcohol to go from my favorite restaurant. And it seems that that's going to be in the budget. You're going to have to buy, quote, substantial food with it. So it's not, you know, bag of chips. Um, Mm -hmm. That's one thing to keep an eye out for. I mean, the issue of bail reform, because it's been so heavily discussed over the last few months. I think it's going to be, you know, a lot of people are going to claim victory on that. And a lot of people are going to claim that it's absolute garbage. Depends on where you fall on that issue. Um, And, you know, there's this whole big discussion about child care and child care subsidies. And a lot of mothers and a lot of fathers saying, you know, we can't go back to working from the office or it's easier to work from home because childcare is so expensive. So now if you're going to be adding subsidies, you know, and increasing the threshold for people to apply for these, that changes the dynamic for a lot of, you know, everyday people, like they can, childcare can now possibly be affordable instead of being, you know, another mortgage. Um, And at the same time, I mean, I think for me, one of the items that I'm sort of monitoring is, not getting a lot of traction, which is whether or not the state will include some sort of health insurance product for undocumented New Yorkers who aren't eligible for, you know, most federal benefits. And a lot of the people who died during the pandemic were immigrants. Um, So that's just a couple of things that I think would translate to normal human beings who aren't super involved in the policy and the wonkiness of it.
0: Speaking of normal human beings and immigrants, is this two and a half billion dollars uh, for the fair pay for home care workers, as the uh, bill is called, to raise their pay up to a minimum of something like twenty two fifty? Is that still in play? Uh, if you know from your reporting, or does that seem to have dropped out at this point? Yeah, well, no, say- I
1: think it's it's still in play. I don't know that it will be that much, but there does seem to be an indication that there will be some sort of funding to bring up those wages. Um, Again, it's subject to change as everything is, but it does seem right now that there's going to be at least some efforts to fund that. Um, And also, you know, I've heard discussions that there might be more money for a lot of different projects and proposals, you know, for rental assistance and homeowner's assistance. So now I guess when you're flush with cash, you can do that. So why not?
3: I, I was curious about the rental assistance, but I know that that's, um, you know, that's a,
1: an episode onto itself. <laughs> well, it seems that that might be up for discussion now in the state budget, but we'll see.
0: Josefa, thank you so much for uh, coming back on and talking us through all this. And, um, uh, hopefully we can have you return once we, uh, once we have a deal to help unpack everything that will have just happened at once after all this waiting and, uh, Hopefully, y'all won't be in that uh, humid room for too long, and you've got delivery at least coming.
1: Knock on wood. Yeah, hopefully, it won't
3: be a Pataki-era August August uh, budget release.
1: Ugh. Well, thank you all for having me. I appreciate this break from the hurry-up-and-waiting-in-hallways. It's nice um, to hear some new voices releasing. <laughs> oh, voice we miss you. Aww. We'll send you some vegetables. I, um, literally ate a fistful of raw kale
2: yesterday with nothing on it. That's where I'm at. F-A-Q. FAQ.NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brick House Cooperative of independent journalists, artists, and critics. Online at thebrick.house. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and came to you this week from Brooklyn and Albany. A special thank you to our guest, Josefa Velasquez of The City. Our executive producers, Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara, mixed and edited this episode. Be well, be kind, and we'll see you next week.